1: Good morning.
2: I have just been to Buckingham Palace and accepted His Majesty the King's invitation to form a government in his name. It is only right to explain why I am standing here as your new Prime Minister.
0: This is Rishi Sunak. This week, he became the United Kingdom's third Prime Minister in just two months. And as the child of Indian immigrants, He's also the first person of color in British history to hold the office. As he steps into this new role, his task is clear. Stabilize the country. After the policies of his predecessor, Liz Truss, sparked economic fallout across Britain. All I can say is that I am not daunted.
2: I know the high office I have accepted, and I hope to live up to its demands. But when the opportunity to serve comes along, you cannot question the moment. Only your willingness.
0: His ascension has significance beyond the UK. For a generation of Indians like Sunak's parents, his rise is seen as a powerful testament to the South Asian experience in the West.
3: And as somebody who is also of South Asian descent, I'm absolutely curious about what he may or may not do that reflects his personal story and identity? Will he make comments about Britain's legacy in India?
0: Ishan Tharoor is a foreign affairs colonist at The Post.
3: I think many people from countries that used to be colonized by Britain want to see the political leadership in London show a bit more awareness and atonement for a legacy of exploitation and domination. And I'm not holding my breath for Rishi Sunak to lead the way in any of that, but it's something that I will be watching for.
0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Wednesday, October 26th. I'm Jerry Brewer. Today we explore who Rishi Sunak is and what his ascent to power in Britain means for South Asians across the globe. So who is Rishi Sunak? What is his background?
3: Rishi Sunak is a 42-year-old Tory politician that is a member of the the British Conservative Party. Uh, He is somebody who, before he entered politics, had a very lucrative career in finance. He was at Goldman Sachs. He launched a hedge fund uh, and then entered uh, the British political establishment as something of a golden boy. He's somebody who uh, is born in Britain to a a family of Indian origin. His parents migrated to the United Kingdom in the 1960s, along with a broader wave of migration of people of Indian descent from former colonies in East Africa. He had parents who were hardworking, middle-class Britons, and emerging out of that community, he excelled in his schooling, went to Oxford, ended up going to Stanford Business School, and uh, came back and sort of rode the golden elevator up to the halls of power in Britain.
0: So we're talking about an an investment banker, a very wealthy man. How does he get into politics?
3: Well, I think it should be stated up front that his wealth is not necessarily entirely self-made. It's partially also because of his wife, whom he met in business school. Akshada Murthy is the daughter of a very prominent Indian tech billionaire, Narayan Murthy. And so part of their collective wealth is based on that Indian tech fortune.
2: Look, there there is commentary about my wife's family's wealth. And so let me just address that head on because I think it's worth doing because I'm actually incredibly proud of what my parents-in-law built. My father-in-law came from absolutely nothing and just had a dream and a couple of hundred pounds that my mother-in-law's savings provided him. And with that,
3: he went on to... But Rishi Sunak is clearly somebody from an early moment who was close to uh, Tory circles, had an ambitious vision of himself, and went to the right places. He emerged out of an educational context, the same sort of educational context that created people like Boris Johnson, the former prime minister, people like Tony Blair, the former prime minister. And so he was very much part of the British establishment and made his way through the Tory party.
0: Sunak hasn't been a politician for long. What's his road been like?
3: That's right. As a 42-year-old, he's, I think, the youngest prime minister in Britain's history for at least a couple of centuries. He only entered politics in 2015. The term is he was parachuted in by the Tory party leadership to contest a seat uh, in the elections uh, in the north of England, even though he was not from that part of the country, because he was seen as as an interesting figure to have within the Tory party circles.
2: My parents, now a GP and pharmacist, grew up wanting to provide a better future for their children. And today, I have the enormous privilege of standing here as a Member of Parliament. I owe a great debt to our country for what it has done for my family, showing tolerance, providing opportunities, and rewarding their hard work.
3: And so he won elections there and won a re-election in 2019. And pretty quickly, he ended up in a position of relative prominence within the party. He served as the chancellor of the Exchequer, that's Britain's version of finance minister, under Boris Johnson.
2: Growth up, jobs up and debt down. Let there be no doubt, our plan is working.
3: And then his defection and his kind of decision to leave that post uh, was kind of the nail in the coffin for Boris Johnson's time in power.
0: Was he someone who was popular within the broader South Asian diaspora before he became the prime minister?
3: I wouldn't suggest that he was uniquely popular or inspirational to South Asians in the diaspora, whether it's in Britain or elsewhere. Of course, Britain has quite a few politicians on both sides of the aisle in terms of its politics, who are of South Asian descent. If you look at Sadiq Khan, the twice-elected mayor of London, he is of Muslim Pakistani origin. And there's a whole other list of these sorts of figures. Sunak, of course, also has only come to power in an incredibly, what you could say, is a pretty undemocratic process. This is an internal Tory party process of selection that elevated him to the leadership post of the party and therefore made him prime minister, he was not somebody who has been elected by the British public in any meaningful way, nor is he somebody who uh, sort of banked, you know, countless votes from people of South Asian descent.
0: You mentioned he's in the Tory party. Uh, He's a conservative. Where does he land on the political spectrum?
3: His current pitch, as far as we can tell, is that he is a bit less ideological and a bit more sober-minded than his recent predecessor, Liz Truss. He's somebody who is preaching a kind of much more guarded uh, approach to fixing the tremendous economic travails facing Britain. Uh, We'll see where that goes. He is a laissez-faire conservative. He was somebody who was sympathetic to the project of Brexit that is breaking the UK free from the European Union. Despite
2: the challenges, in the long term, I believe the agility, flexibility and freedom provided by Brexit would be more valuable in a 21st century global economy than just proximity to a market.
3: He's somebody who has a vision of Britain that is very much in keeping with the kind of Union-busting neoliberal project associated with, say, somebody like Margaret Thatcher. I
2: were to ask you who's been the best ever leader of the Conservative and y- Conservative Party and why? Who would you pick? Probably, probably Margaret Thatcher. Why? Why? She delivered multiple election victories and changed this country for the
3: better. And he will now take the mantles of the what's left of this rather tattered Tory project of Brexit, and try to pitch uh, a future for Britain where there's less regulation, where there's greater growth. And we'll see how he goes. I think a lot of analysts expect that he has his work cut out for him.
0: Okay, so let's walk back for a second. Remind us what happened with Liz Truss that made her tenure so short and led to Sunak taking over.
3: Well, that's right. Liz Truss had a 49-day tenure as prime minister. She replaced Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who was the last Prime Minister to be actually elected via a general election in 2019. It's basically very difficult to talk about British politics without talking about Brexit. Take yourself back to 2016. The then-conservative government of David Cameron offered a referendum as part of its bid to win re-election previously said that, okay, we see that there are a lot of you, especially on the right in the UK, who want to leave the European Union. We'll offer a referendum about it, and let's try it. Now, I think people like David Cameron and then a whole other constellation of conservative politicians did not expect the pro-Brexit crowd to win, but they did.
1: Tomorrow we will wake up in a free country with a glorious future
2: and we can be confident dash it, we're the world's Fifth largest economy!
3: And Britain's politically and economically have been dealing with the fallout of that ever since. The process for negotiating over Brexit has led to all sorts of divisions within the Tory party. Then the pandemic made someone like Boris Johnson a very polarizing figure. And so a a kind of cascading series of scandals forced him out. Uh, Earlier this year, Liz Truss comes in and she comes in uh, with a rather ideological set of cabinet ministers and puts forward a uniquely damaging policy plan, a mini budget that promised to uh, slash taxes for the super rich.
2: I will deliver a bold plan to cut taxes and grow our economy. I will deliver on the energy crisis dealing with people's energy bills, but also dealing with the long-term issues we have on energy supply.
3: That led to a huge market reaction and a complete loss of faith within the party. And so eventually she was forced out. And so now Sunak comes in to pick up the pieces. So
0: what is Sunak's political vision for the UK?
3: Well, his vision, we'll see what happens in the coming days and what he puts forward in his new proposals as prime minister. But what we do know is that he is somebody who styles himself very much as a kind of banker technocrat. He's seen by some as a kind of Emmanuel Macron figure, that is, the French president who's very friendly towards the interests of finance and capital. And, you know, when you think about Brexit, when you think about the politics animating Britain or especially animating uh, the conservative movement in Britain, on one hand, there is a kind of nativist streak to it, this idea that Britain was put upon by Europe welcoming too many foreigners, etc. And on the other hand, there's this vision of a global Britain, free of the European Union, that charts its own course. And I think Sunak is a relatively capable propagator of that second vision. This idea that London can become a kind of Singapore on the Thames, a a deregulated, economically powerful, and independent uh, nation by itself. And whether that's actually possible, we don't know, and I, one would have reasons to doubt that. But Sunak will be clearly a kind of propagator for that vision of a post-Brexit future.
0: Sunak isn't the first person of South Asian descent to lead a European country, so why does there feel like there's more significance to him uh, leading the UK?
3: You're right. Britain is not the first European country to have this precedent. Uh, Portugal's current prime minister is Antonio Costa, someone of Indian origin. And then you have in Ireland, former prime minister and soon to be next prime minister, Leo Varadkar. And so Britain is only the third country in this wave of Indian global domination, if I may say so. But of course, in Britain, there's a greater symbolism to this. Why do I say that? For two centuries, or for the better part of two centuries, Britain dominated the Indian subcontinent. Much of the wealth that drove the industrial age in Britain was in part siphoned from the Indian subcontinent. Generations of people from South Asia have grown up with a kind of British and political cultural footprint, whether it is the laws or the political systems that shape their societies, to the language uh, that elites in these countries still speak, including, say, my family, to things like cricket and the obsessions we have over that, and to any a number of other ways in which uh, the legacy of empire still lives on in former colonies. And to see somebody like Rishi Sonak, the child of immigrants, who themselves come from a story that kind of hugs the coattails of empire, their migration from India to colonies in East Africa to Britain, was a, a story created by the British Empire in many ways, To see someone like Sunak now being greeted by the monarch of Britain has a a great deal of meaning and symbolism, I think perhaps even more so for people in South Asia than among British South Asians themselves. What's also pretty important is the fact that Sunak himself is a religious Hindu, makes no bones about practicing his faith. He swore his oath of office to parliament in 2019 holding a copy of the Bhagavad Gita. And that's something right now, especially in a context in India, where you have, for better or worse, a political establishment dominated by the Hindu nationalist right. That's something that is very much celebrated by many Indians. You should think of it also in the context of, of South Asian Americans in politics here. There's a clear difference between someone like Rishi Sanak and, say, People like Nikki Haley or Bobby Jindal, these are former GOP presidential hopefuls, both of Indian background, who presented a kind of deracinated image of themselves to appeal to what they presume was their right-wing conservative base in the United States. Rishi Sunak did not have to do that and never would have done that.
0: After the break, what kind of impact can Sunak make as prime minister? We'll be right back.
1: Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.
0: All right, so here in the, the U.S., it feels like a moment loosely similar to 2008 when Obama ran for president. But is that a fair comparison? Is the UK having its own Obama
3: moment, if you will? It's a really interesting comparison. And you have many people saying it. You have, say, the president of the Hindu temple, where Sunak grew up attending, saying this is our great Barack Obama moment. And for many Indians in the diaspora, it does feel like a a really wonderful moment of triumph of representation. I think there are some interesting ways in which it diverges. And I think there are some important differences when thinking about the Obama analogy. First of all, race has not been the defining kind of conversation point around Rishi Sunak's rise to power, as it perhaps was, say, around Barack Obama's. Far more important, at least in terms of the British conversation, is his wealth and kind of accrued and amassed privilege over recent years. He's somebody who is a hedge funder who worked at Goldman Sachs. He's somebody who is seen as a a figure of a certain kind of wealthy establishment. He and his wife are believed to be worth some $830 million. That's a fortune that, per some calculations, is greater than that of what Queen Elizabeth had before her death. Uh, So it's, it's a significant sum, and it raises questions about his interests, about his ability to relate to the British public. And, you know, more scandalously, there was a whole controversy around the fact that it appeared that his wife was not paying full taxes on her wealth, even while he was the finance minister of Britain and in charge of the agency that collects taxes. So that has figured in the British conversation, I would say, as much as whatever his cultural identity may be. Now, in the months to come, that may change. You know, his identity may matter more in the months to come in the same ways in which a backlash to Obama over the years of Obama being in power was in part sparked by racial resentments directed toward him.
0: Yeah, so ever since the the death of Queen Elizabeth, there's been this renewed conversation about the UK's relationship with its uh, former colonies how does sunak fit into that equation
3: i think on one hand he reflects a really happy vision of the british commonwealth someone who is a champion of say the project of the british commonwealth can say look someone like rishi sunak rose up from relatively humble middle class origins to take the top political post in the country and it really validates uh, the wonder of our multicultural society and by extension, the multicultural commonwealth that existed because of the British Empire. You know, there's still a debate over how the average British person is not taught the realities of the British Empire and and some of its misdeeds uh, in the past. I have a hard time imagining someone like Sunak really changing the precedence here. He represents a party that is very triumphalist about the empire. And I can't imagine him, especially with as narrow a mandate as he has, wanting to rock the boat that much.
0: There's so much we don't know about Rishi Sunak that we're about to find out. So what will you be paying attention to during his time as prime minister?
3: I think first and foremost, it's going to be how he maintains unity over a very fractious ruling right-wing party, that is the Tories. If he can do that, and stabilize Britain's economy and pass a number of measures that may not be necessarily ideologically popular among among his uh, fraternity you know measures that say extract more taxes from oil and gas companies to help offset inflation costs and so forth uh, then it would be a really uh, a mark of a, a very pragmatic and probably ambitious politician who sees himself as somebody who can both successfully steer his country out of a political and policy mess while also wielding enough control and charisma to keep his party in check. But that's going to be a very tall order for him. And so that's the thing we have to watch, and that probably is the only thing that matters. On a lesser note, and as somebody who is also of South Asian descent, I am absolutely curious about what he may or may not do that reflects his personal story and identity? You know, will he make comments about Britain's legacy in India? Will he talk about things that Indian nationalists want to hear? Say the repatriation of looted diamonds that now sit in the Tower of London? Or I think many people from countries that used to be colonized by Britain want to see the political leadership in London show a bit more awareness and atonement for a legacy of exploitation and domination. And I'm not holding my breath for Rishi Sunak to lead the way in any of that, but it's something that I will be watching for.
0: Ishan, thank you. Thank you. Ishan Tharoor is a foreign affairs columnist and author of Today's Worldview, the Post's daily column and newsletter on international politics. This story was produced by Arjun Singh. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Lucy Perkins. I'm Jerry Brewer. Thank you for letting me be your host for the last few days. Tomorrow, I'm handing things over to my colleague Shane Harris, a national security reporter here at The Post. You'll be in great hands, and we'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.